0: Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer.
1: And I'm Melissa Fight johnson
0: And today we're happy to have with us our very first repeat guest, yeah. fan favorite, my cousin, <laughs> <Back> by- <laughs> Sarah Russell.
2: <laughs> Woo, welcome back, Sarah. Wow, that's a good intro. I'll take it. Thank you.
0: I just pulled it out <laughs> of my ass. Sarah was last with us for season one episode 10 Namaste No More
1: and um, here are some of the lovely things that people said about Sarah Um, my friend Lauren who later became a guest said I love Sarah have her back And (laughs) and we were like whoa we're legit people are like requesting to have people back and then my friend Jana also a guest so I think it is just you know people we know but she said that Sarah had the loveliest laugh and the loveliest voice and loved all of your points. So.
2: Oh, Janice, my new friend.
1: <laughs> Sounds like we'd get along Perfect. great. I think so. I think so. <laughs> she just loves me
0: and I love that in people. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> so
0: how have you been since Namaste No More? The Bravermans have been through a lot. Hopefully the Russells <laughs> haven't been through quite so much. Yeah,
2: we are... Hanging in there, you know. I keep saying 2020 was the longest year ever. And now 2021 <laughs> seems to be picking up. I'm a little like, oh, okay, maybe we're returning to normal time speed. Um, yeah, we're doing good. We are moving forward. It feels like the train is moving forward.
0: That's so good. And let's just remind people, you are joining us from
2: Lake Mary, Florida. Florida. Is... <laughs> yes. It's like oh, man. about halfway between Orlando and Daytona. So a fun place to have a kid. Disney on yeah. the
0: beach. Well, it is so great to have you back. Today, we are discussing Parenthood Season 2, Episode 19, Taking the Leap. It was written by David Hudgens, directed by Andrew Bernstein, and it originally aired on March 29, 2011. Here's the NBC synopsis. Adam and Christina have an unexpected meeting with the principal of Max's school, Jabbar is selected Star of the Week by his elementary school, causing Crosby and Jasmine to work together, creating nostalgia for their past. Meanwhile, Amber encounters a speed bump while working in her new job. Elsewhere, Joel and Julia receive troubling news after a series of medical checkups, and Zeke's old friend, Gilliam T. Blount, <laughs> shows interest
1: in Sarah's play. <laughs> Sorry. Once so laughed, I was just gone. I did not even finish. And his name, name. it's not a real name. (laughs) (laughs) That's the most made up name that's ever existed. (laughs) Well, he
2: was that kind of character.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he absolutely was. I mean, let's just dive in to Gilliam (laughs) T. Blount. First, just a little like background and trivia. This is the first episode with Richard Dreyfus, who to his credit and to the show's credit, like this is certainly the biggest guest star at the time that they've had. Like Richard Dreyfuss is an Academy Award winner. He won in 1977 for The Goodbye Girl. And I thought this was a fun fact. At the time, he was 30 years old. And he was the youngest actor to win a Best Actor Oscar until Adrian Brody won in 2003 for The Pianist. And he was 29. That is a fun fact. So very acclaimed actor. I know him as Mr. Holland, because when you're in band and your teacher is gone, all the sub can do is show Mr. Holland's opus. <laughs> I've seen true. the first hour of that movie so many times. Luckily, uh, we like never got to the scene where he like, almost sleeps with a high school student, and
1: he's like 60. Yeah,
2: Yeah. interesting choice, substitute
1: teacher. <laughs> Substitute's just like, just putting it out. Just putting it out. That's a terrible joke for a teacher to make. Well,
2: they know when the bell's going to ring. You're only going to see part of the movie.
1: You're only going to see part of the movie. Now, I, I think you're right that at the time, Richard Dreyfuss was the biggest guest star. But isn't it funny how times change? Because now I'm like... I bet way more people know who Michael B. Jordan is than Richard Dreyfuss. And yeah. that's a really interesting thing. Yeah, Certainly so. in their
0: target demo. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is sort of along the Gilliam storyline, but I'm just going to get it out of the way because it's
3: funny.
4: What do you have in your pants, Dad? Hey, well, what kind of a question I was is going
3: that? to the bathroom and I uh, was uh, perusing your play.
4: Dad, uh, are you kidding me? You read. Right. You took that in the bathroom and play. What does that mean? Like a play that. It's not a play. It's your part mother has written a play, just written a play
3: it. and it's fantastic. Wrote okay.
4: I want what? this thing. It's not even done yet. You shouldn't be reading this. No one's supposed to read this. Am yet. I in there? Was I in there? It's all about you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I didn't even notice until you requested this clip, Melissa, and then I watched the episode again. Zeke literally had it tucked into his waistband,
3: yes <laughs>
0: in the back of his <laughs> pants. like it really was gross, because like you know, I live alone, I often read in the bathroom. I'll be honest. Sure, sure. um I don't ever tuck my reading material <laughs> into any part of my clothing, <laughs> let alone. <laughs>
2: You know, that's why when May Whitman is like, "What kind of question is that?" That is really one
1: of the best parts. Yeah, I'd be horrified if someone literally took my writing into the bathroom. (laughs) Although maybe really it's the ultimate compliment—just feeling really comfortable—and you know, I don't know.
0: (laughs) So, but now for the main attraction. You don't know
3: this, but you are standing in the presence of greatness. Gilliam T. Blount, if I may, happens to be one of the finest Broadway producers to ever come along the pike, and guess what? What? He has agreed to read your play.
4: No, oh God, that that's such a compliment, that's amazing, but Dad, no, nobody's supposed to read it yet. It's not ready, it's not ready. We made
3: copies. I don't
4: want... They all
3: say that, they all say
4: that. I'm new at this, and there is some very personal stuff in
3: there that I want to take out. You were going to take out? The personal stuff? What were you going to leave? The shallow stuff? Do you want to be a writer? Yes. Yeah, she does. Dad. Do you want to be a writer?
4: Hmm? Yes.
0: You afraid of hurting somebody? She's willing to hurt people. Dad. Sarah, this is obviously about your family. I'm asking you, are you afraid of hurting their feelings?
3: Yes. Yeah. Your father saved my life in the Vietnam War and even before I stopped resenting him for it, I realized that I owed him a lot. I
0: will leave here and I will read your material, and I will tell
3: you the brutal or celebratory truth.
4: I don't know what to...
3: I think the word you're struggling for is thank you.
0: That's two words, Gilliam.
1: That was my exact thought. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm sorry if I stole your no, clever no. rejoinder. I just, I just thought if you're going to be a little condescending as you're like, <laughs> what you're searching for is, you know, then you should actually get it correct. <laughs> so yeah. that's a small Just
2: say thanks. Maybe the writer actually did say thanks.
1: Ah. And he got damn, it That damn Richard Dreyfus just went <laughs> off, popped popped so an made improv. Made his own thing. <laughs>
0: i put that gilliam t blount is proving the cartoon guest star hypothesis first posed by our guest dylan landau dylan said the main characters on parenthood are very layered very well-rounded but oftentimes the guest characters are sort of stereotypical like the stoner boss or now this like
2: oh interesting theater
0: producer I mean, he has the yeah. walking stick. He has an ascot and a vest yeah. and a pocket watch. I was like, this is not a real person. Oh, no, his
2: outfit is very of the fiat
0: Yeah, it's someone's <laughs> idea of what a hoity-toity Broadway producer is like.
2: Or like a community theater director. Like. <laughs> <laughs> He's like quirky St.
0: Clair from Waiting for Guffman.
2: Yes, <laughs> that's what I thought. And then
0: that like reveal of him He's like sh- only shot from behind until Zeke says his name, and then it's like a presenting Richard Dreyfus
1: as Julian
0: Um And I also just uh, to contrast, here's the names of some major theater producers working today: Jeffrey Seller, Richard Frankel, Kevin McCollum. Like very middle of the road <laughs> names. They don't have to be flashy. <laughs> anyway
1: yeah no i also was going to say that little hint of a backstory with them in vietnam was really channeling uh lieutenant dan for me he was like your father saved my life and when i stopped resenting him for it and i'm like whoa what what is this? Like Lieutenant Dan's like, I was supposed to die. <laughs> like, you know, and then they just gloss over it. I'm like, that's deeply interesting. Go back, but they never do. There was a so, lot of
2: little like hints like that when he's like, Go ahead and Google me. Yeah. You're gonna find the oddities. You're like, What? And you can even see <laughs> Lauren Graham's face. She's like, What are gonna be the oddities? Like <laughs> <laughs> someone please fill me in on this. Like yeah. who just took my script?
0: I did enjoy freeze framing gilliam's resume as they were looking it up and taking note of some of the plays like a few of them were real shows like that championship season Uh, but but the first play on his resume is called the life and death of frogs in the barnyard (laughs) there was one called seaside with the shepherd's flock but shepherd was spelled like someone's last name instead of (laughs) one who works with sheep And then I I also enjoyed a play called Who Said What Now?
2: (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
0: And then I also, weirdly, the resume subtly answered a question that I had throughout the episode, which was, if this guy is a big Broadway producer, what's he doing in Berkeley? And towards the end of his resume, all his most recent credits were like the Old Globe Theater, which is Mm -hmm. in San Diego, the Santa Monica Playhouse, Berkeley Rep or something. And I thought, oh, so clearly he made his way here some time ago while he was still working. And that's why he's here. Okay, I buy it. About all I do buy.
1: (laughs) I once saw Othello at the Old Globe Theater in San Diego with Blair Underwood. It was fantastic. Oh my word, Melissa,
2: that's... Really It was cool. pretty.
1: Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was super good. So that's, yes. I was like, I have a frame of reference. I know what this is. Yeah. That made me feel very cultured, you know? So,
2: <laughs> was Blair Underwood amazing?
1: He was amazing. Yeah. He was so good. And I, sometimes I feel just really dumb because. I feel like often I don't know people for the coolest thing they've ever done. So I mostly knew Blair Underwood from his guest stint on Sex and the City. And I was super excited. So whatever. Now you know him for Othello. Now, yeah. Isn't that cooler? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. Which was better? They're just (laughs) different. (laughs) I'm sure Othello is better, but I love Sex and the City. Okay.
0: (laughs) I loved in that clip. And throughout the episode, you can tell that Lauren Glam, <laughs> Lauren Glam.
1: <laughs> she is. I
0: loved in that clip that you could clearly tell Lauren Graham is a little sick in this episode. Her voice is a little hoarse throughout. And I think it sounds great. Yeah.
1: Was it like Phoebe when she gets the cold and then yeah, tries to? Yeah, kind of to... that
0: like <laughs> sexy, That's voice.
1: Yeah. Cold makes
4: you sound so great. It's fun. God, I love how sexy I am. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And I also like that she was honest when he asked her if she was afraid of hurting her family. I liked that she just owned it. Yeah. Sometimes my favorite things to read are super personal. And I do wonder, like, <laughs> what do these people's families think of what they wrote? Because I don't think I would have the guts. I mean, even on this podcast, sometimes I think about, like, what do I really want to reveal? Yeah, and, yeah,
2: you hold back. Yeah. Yeah. I love memoir. So yeah, I'm into it. I'm like, <laughs> I like hearing the personal story. Like when he was like, You're gonna take that out, then what are you gonna have left? Like I'm like, I get that. Yeah. But I also get point. how she's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I used to say with social media, which I probably should still say, but I used to say, like, can my boss read this? Can my mom read this? Like, if both of them <laughs> can read it, then yeah. I can post it, you know. Like, are you comfortable with she's having some of that? Also, was this the first episode, Remind Me, where she just all of a sudden is a writer
0: basically she actually wrote it at the very tail end of two episodes ago okay and then in the last episode it was done but she didn't even know what it was and she gave it to mark sear the english teacher
1: oh Oh. and
0: he said i think what you wrote is a play and so now suddenly (laughs) she has a broadway producer who wants to produce it
2: that's how life goes though. I mean Sometimes,
0: yeah. I mean not for me, an actual theater writer, but for others I hear. I even know lots Stories of Broadway too. producers. None of them are champing at the bit <laughs> to produce my stuff. Well,
2: anyway. if they had saved your dad in battle, you might be in a different position.
0: Damn it, Dad. Why didn't you serve?
2: Really. It's about more than just talent, Caleb.
0: It is. <laughs> about gotta, saving lives. Gotta save lives.
1: I don't know. I didn't mind that storyline, but I think I had to sort of just go with it and, and accept that it was less realistic than their usual vibe, you know, and just go, okay, this is just zany fun. And I think once I was willing to do that, I just really enjoyed how ridiculous <laughs> Gilliam T. Blount was. And I i don't know, I didn't mind. And, and still far better than anything, you know, with William Baldwin at the beginning of the season. So I'm like, at least she's not dating Richard Dreyfuss. <laughs> <That, laughs> I don't think I'd like that.
2: Yeah. Well, and I also thought maybe this is actually serving the purpose of showing what Zeke will do for his kids.
1: Mm. You know, mm. that
2: it's like, because I kept getting that vibe from him of like, no, no, she's really good. No, she she wants this. Like he was going to like fix this solution for her. You know, like you wrote a play, let's get it produced. Like he was going to jump in and fix that problem. That
0: is very sweet. I didn't even really think of that. That his his confidence in her is yes. immediate and like unwavering.
2: Yes. And he's that kind of dad, especially to Sarah.
0: Yeah. Wow. That makes me wonder, Sarah, when you were like heading off to school to become an actor. Yeah. What were your parents' thoughts? Were they super supportive? Were they worried?
2: Um if they were worried, they didn't let me see it. You know, they were very supportive in that and they like took me to visit colleges and you know, they wanted me to go where I could go and do theater. Like they wanted me to be on stage. One of my grandmothers, not the grandmother we share Caleb, she was like, I said I was gonna major in acting and she said, Oh Sarah. With your brain, <laughs> like someone so smart shouldn't be doing theater. <laughs> like, there must be another thing that you could be doing, you know? So, well, that's funny because
0: think... it's like both a compliment and undercuts. You. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Kind of, that also encapsulates, encapsulates my grandmother, <laughs> the, Like, sort of those kind of things where you're like, was that nice or was that not nice? What she just said, like, hmm. <laughs> But I would say in general, I do have a dad who is like, uh, can I like, he thinks that what any of us do is amazing. And so perhaps others should get on board with that idea. Yeah, he definitely. And that might be a Hoyer trait.
0: I my dad does that too because like I was just telling my sister recently about when I was in high school at a certain point if I didn't want to go to school that day I didn't even have to fake being sick I would just tell my parents and by my parents I really mean my dad that I didn't want to go and he would call and tell them I was sick and he'd be like great stay home and (laughs) I would I have enough of my mom in me to be like is this okay. And he and he would literally say, They should be rolling out the red carpet for you every time you
2: set foot in that school. Wow. So
0: yeah, he was pretty supportive.
2: I think there's just a little bit of where you're like, We're I don't know, I do feel like that side of the family really thinks they're really great.
1: Oh, for sure.
2: <laughs> like at just about whatever they do. So their kids are too. So
1: Man. I I cannot relate to this because I come well. from a family of crippling self-death. <laughs> <laughs> they, so they did not. They
2: didn't. They weren't like Melissa. These poems are amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean. No? I shouldn't say that. No, they're very they're very supportive of of okay. me. Yeah, that, it, that is true. But I don't know that they would think that they should write anything or ah, you know yes. and and yeah, and even though I do write poetry and sometimes I can even say I think this is pretty good. I'm proud of it. It's always with this like Ugh, but what I used to write wasn't very good and maybe in 5 years I'll think what I'm writing now sucks and you know yeah. there's always like You do a, have yeah. a new book out? That is that is true. That is true. I am proud of it. So, listeners, I mean, you know, I'm just going
0: to take over for a second. Yeah, do it, do it, and plug Melissa's book.
1: Yeah, I think by the time this is
0: out, the book will actually have been released.
1: I think so. It
0: is called Green. It is a collection of poetry from Riot in Your Throat Press. It's the first collection. It's the first anything that they have published. They are kicking off their company with Melissa's book. Melissa's an hero. award-winning poet, everyone. So if I were you, I would go to Melissa's website, MelissaFightJohnson.com,
1: Aww.
0: order yourself the book, write her a review on Goodreads, Aww. and gift it to your friends.
2: I already ordered it, guys. I'm so oh excited. Oh my gosh. You know, yep. Yeah. The fact you're a poet should
1: come up more on this podcast, I feel
0: like. <laughs> That's an well, oversight, and I take... I take some responsibility.
1: Oh my gosh. No. Well, because and I of mean, your
0: aforementioned self crippling doubt, you're certainly not going to bring it up.
1: <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. You know, you I know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking maybe I should talk about this a little bit with, um, you know, Gilliam telling Sarah, you're going to take the personal stuff out. You know that with that very line. And, and are you worried about hurting your family? Cause I will say this is the most personal stuff I've ever written, this book. Oh. And yeah, and I my first book a few years ago, I think I was more focused on just making my family happy. And this one, yeah. It's still
0: very um, good. Order that one, too. Continue.
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And so I think this one is a little bit more... I. I I certainly don't set out to hurt anyone, but I, I really am trying to tell like sort of a fuller truth, which is like a deeper examination of of things. So anyway.
2: Let me ask the hosts a question. Yeah. As you both write, when do you want to hand it over for someone else to read? That's a great question. Because Sarah's so hesitant about that. Like it's not ready. No one's supposed to read this yet. Like when do you feel like, yeah, I want someone else to look at this?
1: That's funny because I want people to look at it way before it's finished, because if I if I want to workshop it, you know, if I want feedback, then I take an early draft for that. And that's a different answer than when I think it's ready to send for publication for lots of people to read and not give me feedback on, except that was good. I'm glad it's published. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which Once is the only a- <laughs> acceptable feedback at that point. <laughs> Once it's in a journal, yeah, you can't be like, oh, I would have taken out that stanza. It's too late. I can't. <laughs> so, But yeah, what about you, Kate? because I mean Caleb you're right Sarah to bring that up Caleb writes beautifully and and yeah you know, I've read and commented on several of his projects which I feel very honored about so yeah when did you decide let me let people like Melissa read them
0: It's funny if I'm writing songs I write them alone almost always and I hardly ever like workshop them in the way that I know you do with so much of your poetry so people don't usually hear them until I consider them finished. Mm. But the few things that I have written that are like prose, it's funny. Melissa's like the first one to read all of them, I think. Wow. Um, Because I respect her opinion as a writer and she's so, she's so good both as a writer and a teacher at like proofing it and giving feedback on the actual content and then I had a few other, like our Aunt Rachel, who had worked mm-hmm. in publishing. I'd shown her some stuff very early on because I thought this is a, a trusted person who will be kind to me because we know each other and has the professionalism to not simply tell
1: me nice things
0: exclusively. You she know.
1: could give you like constructive feedback, places yeah. you could work on it. Thank you for asking that. I was also going to say that I did think, speaking of workshop... I thought that Sarah and Gilliam both did it totally wrong Um, (laughs) because I feel like his approach was to be like, that speech sucked. And I'm like, well, that's not actually helpful. And then on her end, she was like, really defensive. And she's like, I love that speech. What's wrong with that speech? And I'm like, this is the wrong spirit for both of you. Yes. Like, I like thought Sarah, that too. You did? Okay. I'm like, she shouldn't be saying anything yet. She should just like listen and maybe take notes to what he's saying. And he shouldn't just say it sucks. He should say, I didn't think that worked because of this. Um, and, and he should also say specifically what's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Or like, I
2: want to know more about <laughs> <Like>, that
1: Yes. <laughs> what did
0: you think about his note that there is no such thing as a simple guy. Like Sarah was thinking of this character as a simple guy. And he says, there are no simple guys.
2: I actually kind of liked that. I thought that was an interesting thing to say. And then, cause he went on to explain a little more like, this is the theater, they have to talk. Like they have to, you can't just have <laughs> like a character that you're like, well, yeah, but he's simple. He's just, well then he's just gonna look like a background character.
0: <laughs> yeah. I liked the spirit of the observation. And maybe I was just searching for more nuance because I think no one thinks of themselves. Well, I, maybe I shouldn't say that. I was going to say no one thinks of themselves as simple. Maybe there are people who do, but they're wrong. I think everyone has an <laughs> yeah. inner life. And, but I think there are some people, if you're talking about like, I mean, we didn't read the speech that he's referring to. But I think you could say his language is simple. You could certainly make an argument sure. for that. Like this guy doesn't, isn't educated or maybe doesn't have a large vocabulary. Now that I'm saying this, though, I'm weirdly reminded of The Sound and the Fury in the first season. And I haven't read it, but Melissa, I know you know it very well. And one of the whole sections of that book is written from the perspective of a character who like we said, probably we would say has autism, right?
1: Yeah, like severe. Yeah.
0: And is nonverbal, correct? Correct. And yet that is not a simple book. No. You know, at a a time, someone might have called a person like that simple-minded, literally.
1: people Characters in the book do. And it's interesting because we readers understand that character in a way Mm. no one in his life does because they're not privy to his inner thoughts. And so that is a great example. Yeah, we know that he's not simple, even though others dismiss him as so. What a
0: good example. I actually think the whole playwriting storyline as an idea is kind of cool. I mean, if anyone was going to think it's cool, it probably right. would be me. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> but and I am betraying a little of what I know of where it goes. I don't think it's executed super well. And Gilliam is exhibit A. <laughs> I think like <laughs> like we said, like this is not necessarily a very real person. I like the idea of Sarah like literally stumbling upon the fact that she has a talent in this area yes. yeah, that she didn't know anything about. And even if she became suddenly successful at it, I think that could be really interesting. Yes. I was going to say, it reminds me sort of, of Stephanie Meyer, who had never written anything. And she was just like a stay at home mom. And then she wrote Twilight. And I was like, oh, look at what I wrote. And it became this publishing phenomenon. Quality notwithstanding, (laughs) that's a really interesting story. What did her life, how did it transform and how did she handle that? And how did it impact her family? And that I would love to see all of that kind of stuff happen with Sarah. So I think the idea is enticing, but it's not super promising yet with Gilliam there. And no offense to Richard Dreyfuss, although someone working on this production should say, does he need to dress like this? It was clearly a choice. <laughs> and can't his name be like Jerry? Yeah. Or I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. These are great points. I do think I would have been much more interested in Sarah as a playwright if she had spent at least the rest of this season like just trying to figure out how this works, you know, maybe doing some research, trying to approach some community theater I mean I right. don't know how this works. I only know how to publish poems. I don't really know about any other genre. So any examples I would give would sound really dumb probably. But I'm I'm like I know it's not this the man your father saved in the war <laughs> just you know coming back.
0: And even that I would believe because sometimes there's crazy coincidences, but I don't know. The person doesn't seem real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what gets me. And I also In a weird way, I think I hold the show to a higher standard because it's playwriting. And I just assume at least some of their writing staff probably were or are playwrights. Yeah, for sure. You know, if it were poetry, which we've seen on this show a little bit, too. Okay, maybe you don't have any poets on staff because. Yeah. We're not producing a poetry show.
1: <laughs> but no one is. You have a whole
0: staff of <laughs> professional writers. Some of them have worked in the theater, I'm sure. Yeah. And I'm sure some of them would say, you know, no producer I've ever worked with looks like <laughs> Gilliam T. Blount.
1: Yeah.
0: But whatever. All right. Well, let's move on to Amber. Oh. <laughs> My first thing I loved about Amber in this episode was her saying the words that I didn't even realize I'd been thinking this whole time.
4: This is really nice. It's it's so successful. You're like a real successful woman. (laughs) Well, why is
1: everybody always talking about Uncle Adam? It's just like shoes only. Please tell him that. (laughs) Please tell him that. Please tell him that. She's so right. Yeah. She's so right. So right. Julia is by far the most impressive member of this family, and people don't really acknowledge that often enough. No,
2: No. she's like got the little sister thing. It's like that thing of who you are in your family. Yeah, Mm. she's too far down the out of the four for them to think that she's successful.
1: That's true, because they they often act like she and Adam are a tie. They're not a tie. Not really. (laughs) Not really. No, I mean, no offense. Adam, you've got a lot of other great things in your life, but your job is not as impressive. It just isn't. No. Shoes only.
0: (laughs) The valet, Gary, (laughs) is played by Scott Michael Foster, who is Nathaniel from Crazy Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I should have made a uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend over (gasps)
2: there. Why didn't I recognize him well because he was looked so different? He looks, he looks so so different. gross. Yeah.
0: I literally wrote down, looking super gross. But
1: I <laughs> love my crazy ex-girlfriend. Oh my gosh, it's the best show. What? And I mean, I, I love it too. and i I actually recognized his name in the credits. And so I was like, oh, oh. I did not remember that Nathaniel was on this show. And then I heard his voice for a split second before you see him, like when he's like knock, Mm -hmm. knock, and he's coming in. And I was getting ready for him to look like he did on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I figured, oh, he probably plays a lawyer, and I just didn't remember it. Nope. (laughs) And I mean, I wouldn't say he looked gross. He just looks like a totally different person, just shaggy, I guess. Like so
2: scruffy, and he's probably a little
1: younger. Yeah. I remembered this character. I just did not remember that I knew the actor who played the character. It's always interesting when that happens. When Although at the time, you probably didn't. Yeah, he didn't yeah. really do it yet. That's why. I didn't know him yet. And isn't that interesting when you go back and watch something and the now you know that actor and you didn't before? I just think that's always so fun. And then if you're like me, you feel a personal stake. Like he and I are friends somehow because I'm a fan of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I'm like, ah, <laughs> Scott didn't tell me he was on this show. He wouldn't. We don't know each other. So, yeah.
0: That is funny how your first impression of someone is how you always think of them. Because, like, I didn't watch Friday Night Lights until, I think, after season two of Parenthood. And so Lila Garrity
3: Mm. was
0: Gabby to me. And Vince Howard was Alex. Yeah. Even though to anyone who had watched that already, it's like, oh, Gabby is Lila to me. And then now that, like, Michael B. Jordan is a huge star, he's always going to be Alex in parenthood to me. And my birthday buddy. (laughs) So Amber, in the first scene with her mom, asks Sarah, what happens if I don't get into Berkeley? Yeah. And then in their second scene together, she tells her mom that she's feeling a lot of pressure. And I felt so bad in this story because I feel like I could tell what Sarah was doing, which was encouraging Amber to be positive and to think that she could catch a break. But I wish that she had engaged with Amber a little more on yeah. what she was saying because I think that's a great question yes. and I think it could have been a great conversation about about what would happen if she doesn't get in and that it would be okay. The world will keep spinning cuz clearly there was there was so much pressure On Amber. And she then felt like it was coming from Sarah, even though I don't think that's what Sarah was meaning to do at all.
2: No, she's always such a good mom in this show. You know what I mean? I love, I really love their dynamic and the way they talk to each other. And so you're right, Caleb. That was a little like, oh no, like just tell her what would happen. What would happen is the world won't end. You know, you will do this, you will work, or you'll apply again, or we'll go somewhere else, or play that out with her because. I found that storyline kind of, it was kind of like tense and hard to watch. Cause I think everyone can relate to it from one angle or another, like either remember applying for college or know a kid who's applying for college. And it is a stressful time.
1: Yeah.
0: It, I had forgotten until I forced myself to think back to that time. Yeah. And it was an insane amount of stress. Yes. At least on me. And I remember I applied to four schools My dad called my high school and I stayed home one day and applied to all of them (laughs) in one day. And I was going to apply to five, but then I was tired at the end of the day. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to go to Cincinnati anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So I had applied to four schools and then I auditioned at all of them and I didn't get in to three of them. Oh my God. And I hadn't heard from the fourth one and I thought I should have. So I thought, oh, I didn't get in anywhere. Yeah. Just like Amber did. And I remember freaking the fuck out. (laughs) And I applied then like last minute at KU Mm -hmm. in Lawrence where Melissa is now and where both my sisters had gone, which I had never even considered not to not KU at all, but it hadn't been any kind of plan. And I thought, well, I'd have to go somewhere. And I guess that's where I'll go. And then maybe I'll figure it out, you know, after a year. Turns out, I still had to hear from the fourth one and I got in there. And so I went. But That was really stressful. Very, it's very stressful. And it did, it feels like it's going to determine the rest of your life.
2: Well, people talk to you like it will. (laughs) Yeah, they do.
0: And like, I was even not like Amber at all. I was a very high achiever you know, throughout all my school. So it really felt like there were all these expectations, most of which I was probably putting on myself. But still, it felt like if I don't get in anywhere and have to tell everyone at school that, you know, I'm not going to college, that that would have been a, a huge deal.
1: I had such a different experience. I know I've talked about this a little, so I'll just say, I just only applied to the school in my town, which is Pittsburgh State was incredibly cheap. <laughs> it was a great education actually, but I don't think there's really any getting in or not getting in. Like, did you get in, you, did you take the ACT? I, I don't even know if you had to have passed it. You know, it was just like, <laughs> it's a state, you know, they just, they, they let you in. And, and I think, I, I hope I don't sound bad if I'm wrong about that, but I just, I remember watching this storyline for the first time and I couldn't conceive of this because I'm like, where's what where's your pittsburgh state like what what can oh, you apply like, to that they just take you you know i'm yeah. like cuz i never hear about people being turned down cuz it's it's very welcoming and they it's it's a whole different atmosphere it's not cutthroat or competitive it's just this is the school for you if you want to have a chance and and then of course community college i thought well there there's that you could do that we've yeah. talked about that before you know so i guess i just thought oh man, this, you're right, Sarah, when you said they should have had that conversation. And Caleb, you said it too. You were both right. Um, that They should have had that conversation because Amber was probably left thinking, well, it's Berkeley or bust. If I don't get in there, th- then that's it to a happy life. You know, that's sort of what Sarah's implying when she won't have that conversation talk with her.
2: I mean, I'm thinking like, well, you teach seniors now, don't you, Melissa?
1: Like, I do. Cause yeah. I
2: feel like, so this show was 10 years ago and I applied for college 20 years ago. I hope now the conversation is a little bit different, but for so long, it's just been, you go to high school, you go to college, you know, like people don't talk to you about what else, what other yeah. option there could be. I mean, at least in a certain class of people, like at, the, at you know, suburban high schools across. <laughs> country yeah. it's very like you know this is the next step so if you feel like you can't do that then that's just like I don't know I my husband and I talk about this a lot like how do you change that script of like it, it it's not going to define the rest of your life it is yeah. an important decision but you can do so many other things that will also define the course of your life like not yeah. just where you go to college
0: absolutely totally I was wondering what Carly gives this information to Amber personally. Yeah. yeah. And she says that if it was her, that's what she would want. And uh, I thought her gesture was incredibly thoughtful. Uh, but would you want it straight from someone's mouth or would you prefer just reading it in a letter? I feel like I'm tipping my hand. I would prefer the letter because <laughs> then I, there would be no pressure to react oh. in a certain way. I would, you know, Amber kept it together on the phone with Carly, even though she was clearly dying inside. And I'm like, I would die inside too. And I would prefer not to have to pretend I wasn't. Mm.
1: No, I, I think I liked the call. I, I thought, I also thought the way she delivered that information was really great. You know, she didn't do the fake out thing that sometimes tv shows do that i'm like well a person in real life wouldn't do that that would be very mm-hmm. cruel she she said immediately and it, i'm afraid it's not good news you know like there was no yeah. moment where it was a fake out and we thought it was going to be okay and even her calling and leaving a message i thought I'm sure she didn't get in because I'm like, if you, cause she would have sounded more excited in her message. Yeah. I'm sure if she'd gotten in, she would have been like, call me back. I
0: heard from the Dean of admissions. Right. You know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Maybe not exactly. That's like exactly that. how it was. <laughs> when
2: you Some did day. it, I was like, that's exactly it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's that's all I thought. Yeah, I thought it was very kind of her. I think it would mean a lot to me if I was feeling bad about myself, about a rejection, that someone cared enough about me as a person to call me personally. I think that would have meant a lot.
2: Yeah, I think I would have liked the phone call. I probably still would have cried on the phone, but yes, especially <laughs> as an 18 year old. But I think it was nice that she called. And also, then she got the chance to say, like, you are a smart girl. You're going to have opportunities. Like she got to hear that from a person who isn't her mom. <laughs> and yeah. hopefully, like, you know, that softens it a little bit, knowing the letters coming. But th- this was a tough storyline. I just felt really felt for her.
0: Yeah. And we get this nice scene to sort of wrap it up as much as it does get wrapped up.
2: I didn't get into college, like, anywhere. And I just found out,
1: like, a few days ago, and I've been so embarrassed and confused and, like, upset, and I don't know what I'm going to do, and I just... I didn't have anybody to talk to about it, you know, and I just was, like, holding it in, and I just did something like this. I thought it would make me feel better, but I just feel weird. And I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that I did this here at your work. It's like,
4: you know, you have to talk to your mom. She's gonna be
3: so mad at me.
4: She's not gonna be mad at you. She's gonna be supportive of you, okay? You're building this up in your mind, okay? She loves
1: you so much, all right? And you're just gonna feel better once you tell her. I think that's true. I think that's good advice. I know. And even as the aunt, you could
2: tell that she just was like, heartbroken for her. Like, oh, no, this is a big deal. You know, don't get high at my work, but I'm starting to see where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> like... yeah. Something
0: about just the way you said that, like, you know, this is a big deal. It just feels like it would be such a hard needle to thread because... You would want your child to take selecting a school to go to seriously. Right. You'd want them to be invested. But you would also want them to know if it doesn't work out, that's okay. And that doesn't have any impact on your worth as a person or my, you know, support for you.
2: I do think it's like definitely one of those inflection points, though, of like becoming an adult right like when you're finishing high school and you're deciding where to go next that is like one of the really big first big adult decisions you're making i think i applied to like four schools too but i applied early decision actually to nyu and was accepted and didn't have enough financial aid to go oh. and i remember we took a drive like my dad and i took a drive and he told me like we can't do this i can't take out loans for your school And I remember just like as an 18 year old being like, wait, what? (laughs) Like I, we applied for all this. Like we flew there, we auditioned, we like did this, you know? And I could tell that it was like heartbreaking for him too to be like, but I can't afford it. Like, I can't do it. You have three siblings coming. I don't have like a college fund for you. Like we can't do it, you know? And I was like, Whoa. And being very honest, I think I ended up at the right school for me, which we talked about the first time I was here at SMU. And that was a great experience. So I do think it all like worked out how it was supposed to, but that was definitely like a really big, I felt, it felt like an adult moment of like something might not go the way that you want it to.
0: That is a good lesson, hard lesson, but important. were you
2: heartbroken? Oh yeah. I was totally. Yeah. I was really, really disappointed. I was like, I thought I applied here. I got good grades. I auditioned and they took me I thought the next step was I go. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm like, I thought that was, I didn't know there could be this in between where there like wasn't enough scholarship, you know. Man. But I had I had other places and like I actually had a very random. So SMU like called me and said, Would you like to come audition? And we don't still don't know what list my phone number was on or why I got the call. And they were they were auditioning in Florida. And so we actually went. So I could practice before going to New York. So I went there and did really well because I didn't care. And I thought it was a school in Lakeland, Florida. Like I thought it was this little Christian school in Florida. We didn't even know. Wow. And so when I was there, they gave me the information and it was in Dallas and it was a big theater school. And we were like, oh, we didn't even know of this one. And so (laughs) they accepted me into the theater program and said, you need to apply to the school. Like you need to apply to the actual school. And so once I couldn't go to NYU, then I applied to the school and they gave me academic money. And that's how I went to college. (laughs) But that whole experience was sort of one of my first like, wait, wait, I did all the steps. Like, why is this not going how it was supposed to go? You know, it was like one of my first lessons of that.
0: And you know, it's funny, Lauren Graham went to NYU as a freshman. But I think she only lasted a year because it wasn't as academic as she wanted.
1: Wow! So then
0: she she transferred to Columbia, and then then got her master's at SMU, where you went. You guys are just the same. We have and more she's in playing common. You you on Parenthood? She is.
2: she just kind of <laughs> well, playing me really on Parenthood. Really, just
0: the name is the only.
2: Just the, and the beat back near her parents in her like forties.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's her similarities
2: okay. and how she accidentally wrote a play. I did that yesterday. I didn't really. <laughs> I did <that> like- <laughs>
1: But oh, when my. I do, you guys can read
2: it. Yay!
1: Yay. <laughs> Give me the feedback. Uh, yeah, no, it it really that that storyline did. It was pretty crushing, and I just thought it's a failed system that she thinks the solution is to like get high in a boss's car. You know, <laughs> like like you know that that there's clearly no future. I might as well just you know all the hard work, you know, this felt like very early season one Amber, you know, decision making and, and not the Amber that's been like studying for the SATs all season and knitting and just being very, you know, like focused on making good decisions. And hey, I I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I think, you know, it's, it's fine to like make mistakes sometimes, but it just felt so wildly out of character that she's been lately that it just, it made me very worried for her that she feels so bad about her not getting in that she's kind of throwing away a good opportunity to be working with her aunt and you know it just it it worries me very much so
0: and what did you think of I didn't even take a note on it but now I'm realizing the real end of this storyline is later that night at the house when Amber goes to talk to her mom and her mom is busy with Gilliam I mean are we supposed to take from that that like she sees her mom embarking on something new and exciting and she feels like i'm just gonna like rain on her parade if i tell her so i'll just continue to keep it to myself even though julia told me the right thing to do
2: i don't know you see sarah notice her though she definitely like has a lot like i think sarah's like need to follow up on this like i think she's like putting that away of like "Mm." no yeah
0: yeah it seemed like amber was almost taking an out Mm -hmm. like yes oh i don't want to tell you this and if oh well she's busy (laughs) Great, so I'll just go. Even though I, yeah, I, I do remember Sarah being like, "Do you need to tell me something?" Like, Are you I'll all right? hear it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, she's busy talking to the guy who just described me as a shadowy, dark little guy. <laughs> what was? <laughs> yeah, that? that was weird. <laughs> it didn't make sense. <laughs> that was very weird. <laughs> yeah. So random.
0: Well, moving on to Christina, Adam, Gabby, Matt. Oh yeah. Uh, My first question is: What exactly is the scandal of Gabby working for the Lessings? That's her job. And they need a behavioral aid. Gabby well, just had a slot open up. Like, I get that Christina's feelings might be hurt, but it's not like, oh, how dare you?
2: I know. I, I think that <laughs> it's like, yeah. Like, why would my my friend shouldn't hire this person that like, you know, hurt me? Maybe that's but you're right, it's not quite scandal
1: level. I told Mark about it, my husband. I was like, her reaction was akin to walking in on Adam sleeping with someone else. Right? Yes. It's just like, <laughs> what is this? It was very you're right. It was very big. It's like what Although I wonder I, I, I hadn't thought
0: of this and now I'm I'm wondering, like it's not like they found out that she had slept with Crosby and they fired her. hmm She removed herself yeah. because of that. Does that make any difference? Like is there maybe an element of like, Gabby, we would have overlooked that. Or like, we would have forgiven you for that. We don't mind. But instead, you're like, well, I can't work for you anymore. I'm going to go work for your friend. Maybe. I mean, I think I still feel like she overreacted. But it's the Christina entitled. There might
2: be a little of that just because she's like, you hurt Max. Like, she seems like she's mad that like, we're having to explain to Max why you're not here. Yeah. So there might be a little of that in there. But it was still funny. Also, I'm like, Mm, is she getting her bathroom remodeled or did she no. just not want you to see Gabby? <laughs> I,
1: I think it's that Good luck with the remodel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> I was so mad at Christina. I thought everything she said to Gabby was wildly inappropriate, so rude, yeah, entitled as you said. And I also thought she was playing it real fast and loose with the word friend because I don't think she treats Susie Lessing very well most of the time. I guess sometimes she'll like, you know, babysit for uh, Noel. But I'm like, okay, for you to be like, yeah, I'm your best friend. I'm like, okay, you're also the couple that you and Adam like talk smack on behind their back. So I don't (laughs) think she owes you shit. Um, I don't know. I got very mad because I was like, you basically just called Gabby... A slut in front of her and employer. yeah, her employer. It was just so inappropriate, and I, I, I was mad at her the whole episode because of that. I just thought that was awful.
0: Although I will say to Christina's credit, I liked how she sort of nailed Adam on what he was actually thinking about yes. the, the issue of mainstreaming
1: Matt. I do agree
4: with that. You can't make this decision by yourself. We talked about this.
3: Look, I think it's a good school. Jabar goes there. Mm-hmm. Sydney goes. They both there. go I think there. You
4: should check it out. Okay, but we need to be on the same page about this. You just jumped the gun okay, well, and did this don't, by yourself. We can't
3: afford to wait, honey. We've got to get the deposit into footpath by the end of the week. So if we want to look into mainstream Max, we got to do it. Wait now. a
4: second. There's no way that we're not making that deposit. We will lose Max's spot. Do you know how long the wait list is for Footpath? Do you, uh, you have know any how much idea? That deposit is. I do expensive. know how much the deposit is, but we can't make this decision in a week.
3: Look, he's too smart for Footpath. That's what they said at the conference.
4: They told us they could change up his curriculum and make it a little bit more challenging for him. I know Challenge they did,
3: him. but I think that Max needs a more vigorous academic setting.
4: Max needs or you need? What? I know that you want our son to be a normal kid at a normal school. I do too, Adam. Believe Christina, me, but it's just... Christina, I know just... my son
3: has Asperger's, okay? I this. know that he has issues. I want him to go to a school where he can learn, where he can grow, where he can have, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the best opportunity right. for a bright future. I
4: get it. What if he's like the only kid in class without any friends? Are you forgetting where we came from, I'm not Adam? forgetting
3: anything, okay? I know it's a risk. It's a huge risk. Come on, Christina, we're not there anymore. He's not there anymore. You know what christina listen to me i want what's best for our son okay and i don't want to make a decision based on fear
4: i'm not afraid
3: christina it's okay to be afraid i'm afraid i'm afraid of what might happen but i think it's a risk worth taking
1: you're wrong Whew. one thing that i really noticed And I appreciated it because I remember a long time ago, I said that it was kind of hard to distinguish Adam from Christina, that sometimes they act so much as a unit that it's kind of like they're the same person. But I think one of their biggest differences is that Adam almost always, when it comes to Max at least, errs on the side of pushing him and Christina almost always errs on the side of protecting him. And I mm. don't necessarily think one of them is always right or wrong. It's probably a balance in there somewhere. But I did think that was an interesting thing that felt very in keeping with what we've seen so far.
0: Yeah. And I thought that the argument he made in that scene was actually a good argument. But because it was coming from him mm. and because of the way I've seen him act before, I just didn't necessarily believe it. Yeah. I didn't trust that he. it was like a good faith argument. And so I didn't blame Christina for being dubious. I mean, I think you're wrong is a little (laughs) harsh, but I was like, yeah, Adam, this is this conveniently just fits with where you've fallen short before of thinking mainstream equals normal.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think it was about how we look to other people like. I think that's why he threw in that, like, Jabbar goes there and Sydney goes there. Yeah. Like, the family will will look normal to the rest of the family. You know, like, right. it seems like with him, there's still that worry of how other people look at them because they have acts. Yeah.
0: And yet, also, Christina's behavior is totally in keeping with what we've seen her do. And when she says, What if he has no friends? What if he didn't, I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh, she's just catastrophizing. Yep. Like she yeah. always does, <laughs> as, assuming the worst thing will happen.
1: Which she does, even at the beginning of the episode, they are called in for a meeting, and she's so yeah. upset about what is ultimately good news that I think that's part of why you know she tells Gabby that my brother-in-law isn't the only one around here. You screwed. That was. I just yeah. had to quote that because it's just so horrific. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm just like, that's how much she was catastrophizing, that she was being really awful to everyone because she was, I will say, I can relate not to being horrible to everyone around me, but like I I do catastrophize. I go to like worst case scenario (laughs) and it might sometimes bring out the worst in me. So just laughing if you were about to be like, I can relate to like just being really awful. Really awful in general. (laughs) like just Insinuating that people (laughs) screw people constantly. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: There was a very hard to decipher, but very funny exchange between Max and Hattie (laughs) in their last scene. I don't know if you guys heard it. But, like, Max coughs, and then he goes, Hattie, go get me something to drink. And then she says what's wrong with you?
1: <laughs> oh no, I did not hear that. I'm glad you were able to decipher that. I thought she literally had no lines and I was like, is she like not getting paid for this episode? Because even, <laughs> that too. yeah, because, like... because Adam's like, how was your day? And her answer is to just stick a thumb up in the air. Like good. <laughs> but She like, doesn't say anything.
0: <laughs> they also had another little one after, uh, after one of the cash cab answers, Max goes, how could they get that wrong? And you can hear Hattie go, none of us care.
2: Yes, she did. That seemed very teenager to me. I was like, "That is well written line."
0: Yeah, both of those. I was like, "This feels like real siblings." (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) just casual teasing. It's pretty mean if you actually think about it, but neither of them really take it that way. (laughs) That's true. Well, Christina and Gabby finally talk again. It's a noticeably healthier discussion.
4: Adam is very, very excited about it, and you're not. Actually, no, I'm. I'm not. I'm really kind of worried about him getting bullied and he's so safe where he is so I don't want to pull him out of that environment and just throw him into this you know you know how it is having to go through that and explaining to other parents why your kids a little bit different and um, why he doesn't want to go to sleepovers or play sports It's like I've done it all I've explained myself I don't want to go there again ever it just sounds really pathetic and horrible, and I'm a horrible person for saying it. No, it's true, but it's like Adam says this. He's like, you know, what if Max is the next math genius or science prodigy or whatever it is, and it's like I'm holding him back because I'm so concerned about keeping him safe? If that's the case, then I won't be able to live with myself, but I'm just... Christina. I don't want him getting hurt. Christina, you're having a hard time with it, and that's normal, all right? If you weren't struggling with it, I would be worried. And also, you should know that Max's
2: awareness of his Asperger's is a much bigger deal to you than it is to him. The only uncertain variable is his behavior and that can be supported. If you ask me,
4: I think Max could do extremely well in a mainstream setting. I just wanna make sure that he's gonna be okay. I wish that there were guarantees, but you know there aren't. Not with Max or any other kid. What would you do? If it were your boy, if it were your child, what would you do?
3: I hate that question. <sighs> I would do it.
4: I I think that Max is ready, so I would do it. Sorry about before, Christina. I've lost so much sleep over this. I'm, so, I, I let you down, and I maxed down and I'm just, I'm so sorry.
1: It's okay. Okay. Before you two make very excellent points about what she said, I just have to say this, or it's gonna eat at me, that Christina's apology sucked. It was like, <laughs> after Gabby gives her this beautiful long speech, and I mean, after Gabby goes over there and then Christina's mean to her outside like what are you doing here you don't work for us anymore you know and like she I mean, and and she like listens and offers this beautiful advice all Christina can muster is sorry about before and then Gabby is like <laughs> i'm so sorry i've lost sleep over this I, I you know i've let you down i've let myself down and Christina's just like it's okay and i'm like oh get off your damn high horse because Gabby made a mistake that hurt her as much as it hurt anyone else, and she handled it really beautifully and she is still helping your family even when you're mean to her. And that's all I could think about. And I had I had to say okay, so now talk about the other like more important things because maybe I'm alone in thinking that. But I was just still mad at her, even though she apologized. I was like, you didn't even say the I'm in I'm sorry about before. Sorry about before. It was very dismissive. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) I called you a whore in front of your employer. Sorry. Okay, I'm done.
0: (laughs) I agree with your point. Although I also think if you look at it just from Christina's point of view, their behavioral aide slept with her (laughs) brother-in-law and then quit.
1: Well. That's really
0: crappy judgment.
1: (laughs) I was not looking at it from that point of view. I also
0: agree that she was not nice to her and uh, and that Gabby was an incredibly big person to come back and... You know, offer her this advice for free. It's not like she's talking to her friend. Yeah. She's getting a professional opinion from for someone free. who she just called a whore. Yeah. Yeah. So I think all your points still stand.
1: But you did make me think of it in a way I hadn't really. thought. But yeah, yes, Gabby
0: yeah. did act really unprofessionally.
1: I guess that's true. I just yeah. blame Crosby more than I blame Gabby. But okay, Sarah, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on all this? That's
0: true too, I think. <laughs> well, I'm
2: thinking, and I'm trying to remember like a more episodes than just this one, but Christina seems to have the personality type that gets real mad mm-hmm. and then they're done with it. And like, so other people- are like but I'm still thinking about what you said like that's still <laughs> like, but part of her is like that's just how she like she does it to Adam a lot you know like it's super mad and like says stuff that I wouldn't say she doesn't mean but says it definitely in a way that she probably doesn't mean to be that angry which is why in her mind it's like probably wasn't that big of a thing she did over at the Lessing's house <laughs> huh. Wow. right because she's like a ranter I mean like she came back yeah. like you, you see him at the lessing house you know and I think people who rant they're just like getting it out and then they're done you know
1: that's a good point
2: it's like a hard personality for me to be around because I'm way more sensitive and want to like think about all your words more than that but I think people who rant are just like what I was angry but I'm not anymore we're fine you know
0: <laughs> you know I, I I know that this is a loaded term. But like our previous guest, Lucy, really was right that Christina is a Karen. Like that (laughs) It just, it kind of fits her whole persona. And I think in in some ways, it's nice to see a character like this because there is a human underneath all of it. Right. And actually quite a good human. Mm -hmm. I think she has a good heart. Yes. But her behavior is, it's very self-focused and I would include her family kind of, within the self yeah, because it's not that she can only you know but max is her as far as she's concerned and if you hurt max then she has every right to do whatever she wants to retaliate and i think you are right as soon as she's done with a problem she thinks it's fixed Mm. because melissa i noticed the same thing just listening to the scene the moment gabby gave her what she wanted from her which is tell me to do it or not to do it yeah then she had an apology ready and it makes you think if Gabby wouldn't have answered it, I don't think Christina would have
1: apologized. No. Well, then what
0: good are you to me? Forget it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and like that's not great. No. Well, and it reminded me of how mean she was when Amber slept with Steve. <laughs> You know, like... Sorry, I'm just like, here we are, just talking smack about this <laughs> <that> fictional <laughs> characters. No, that's what we signed on for, Caleb. Yeah. Um, but it's true. Like, you know, she got very petty. It's the first time I think I ever really noticed the characteristic of her during that whole storyline, where she basically called Amber a slut, too. So, yeah. you know, she's... Um, I- I'm very sensitive to that, like, term and that way of thinking of, like, shaming women. And it seems sometimes, like... It's not men who are the worst about that. It is women. And it's, you know, kind of women like Christina who have a really great husband, you know, like I, I just think she doesn't really ever stop to think what would it be like, I guess, if I were in a position where someone slept with me and I thought there was something real there and then nope. And, and, you know, I just, I feel like she's just very hard on these people and easy for her to say, I don't know.
0: You saying that just now makes, reminds me Susie Lessing is going through a divorce right now. I mean, like the beginning of the season was her splitting up with Phil. So think of it from Susie's point of view. I'm going through this painful divorce. I have a child with special needs. This great behavioral aid is suddenly available (laughs) and I need some help. Mm -hmm. And so I hired her, even though I know it was under not ideal circumstances. And then my friend comes over and yells at me for it. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, this is odd, though, because what I wrote down after watching the episode about this scene was that Christina's concerns feel so pure to me. Yeah. And they do still.
2: I think they are.
0: I judged her for worrying about this before. And this time I didn't I didn't really judge her. I judged how she handled it a little bit, but not wanting Max to have no friends like, okay, I feel you there. How could you not be scared? And also, having just spoken to Wayne in the last episode, mm-hmm. when Gabby said, Max's diagnosis is a much bigger deal to you than it is to him, it sounded so much like something Wayne would say. I'm like, did <laughs> Wayne write that line? Oh, Wayne. Or did maybe? they just quote Wayne? <laughs> also, I'm glad that Christina and Gabby came to some sort of peace. But then I'm kind of sad that it doesn't mean she'll go back to working for them again.
1: Yeah. Oh.
0: And in fact, this is Minka Kelly's last episode of Parenthood. I oh.
1: I thought it was the last one, so I was very surprised to see her. I'd forgotten about this.
0: Now, Sarah, this this is not the exact same thing, but I know that you at one point took your son out of school yeah. and homeschooled him. Oh, wow. How did you, to quote the title of this episode, take that leap? <laughs> <laughs>
2: You know, it's, it's funny because when I decided to do that, let's see, Owen was finishing the second grade. So he'd been in public school for K one and two. And um, once I decided to do it and then told people, everyone's like, you're so brave. You're so brave. I remember thinking like, this isn't a brave thing. Like I didn't feel really brave doing it. I guess in some ways it was, but I just felt like Owen wasn't thriving. Like I was mm-hmm. like, how is my kid like how is he doing? Actually, it was a lot about his emotional health too. It wasn't really so much about academics other than that. I thought it was academics were pushed way too early Mm. in elementary school. Like in kindergarten and first grade, I felt like this is a lot, you know, like, why is there so much? Why do they have to be able to write a complete story in the first grade? Like, I just felt like (laughs) there were some things that were really early, but more, it was like, by the end of the day, he was so tired. He'd have like these meltdowns and stuff that I was like, I think we just need more time to just learn by playing. And so I like read a lot about it, talked to a lot of other families who did it and just sort of like decided. Also someone finally told me like, you know, you don't have, this isn't a decision forever. So, Mm -hmm. and that's how it ended for our family. Like I did it for two and a half years for third grade, fourth grade, half a fifth. And then we put him back in and I, that's like all he needed was just like a few more years to like be a little bit more of a kid. And learn at his own pace and just be curious. And then he was ready for more socialization again. But I always tell people, I'm like, yeah, I can talk about this because we've had private school, public school, homeschool. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. We've done it um, a few different ways. So I think when you're listening and paying attention to your kid, you kind of know when it's time to your gut. I've met a lot of parents who their gut tells them they might not follow that, but their gut is telling them, you know what? I think we need a change of scenery here
0: just hearing that my first thought is like how lucky for him to have a parent who was paying such close attention and could notice that and then like recalibrate these things that probably feel like huge decisions
2: well thank you yeah I mean it was I shouldn't like minimize it. it was a big choice and he also was really young in his class and so I think he just needed a little time to grow up Oh. Next to, you know, some of the other, he's an August birthday. So he's like almost a year younger than a lot of the other kids. Oh. And um in some States you could wait, like he could have waited to start kindergarten, but in the city of Chicago, if you are six, when kindergarten is starting, then they just put you in first grade. oh <laughs> Cause kindergarten is oh. not mandatory. Oh. So oh. you only have to be enrolled for first grade. So it's not until like the third grade or whatever, that they would let you pick. Too, oh, but well, they don't by have. then
1: they're already like they've made friends. Like it would, I yeah. would think that would be a much bigger deal than just starting yeah. a year late. Um, Yeah. That's
2: all about that, too. Yeah. So I think that was a lot of it. I also think I just have a, a kid who, I don't know, it was good for him to go explore his own little interests. Like we just did like tons of mythology or whatever. Like we just kind of made up our own thing for a few years. And I think that was made him a more curious person and ultimately probably a better student than if he had just kept going down, I don't know, the way that the really crowded public school was yeah. <laughs> was working with them.
1: Now, that's fascinating. I have been thinking more this year than ever before about how kids learn just because of the pandemic and everything. Yeah. And I feel like it's taught me more than ever that you can't just make these sweeping generalizations about how kids learn, you know, everybody learns differently. And I've heard a lot of people call it like a wasted year. And that always breaks my heart because I I don't think that it is. And I think that kids are learning resilience and they're learning about tech stuff in ways that they probably wouldn't have. And, And they might not be learning exactly the same things they would have learned, but I think they're learning valuable things. But I also think, you know, a lot of people would make the argument that all the kids needed to get back to in-person school really fast because they were doing so poorly virtually. And I think that's true of some kids, but it's really interesting to note how many kids are doing better virtually. like Especially like shy kids or kids who didn't feel super comfortable with their peers, they're able to just like... You know, I, I still most of my students are um, remote. I'm doing hybrid, you know, so some are in oh, person yeah. and some are on the computer. And the way that they can just send me a private chat at any time, if they're like, could you explain that part again, but no one else sees that they asked, you know, or some kids will volunteer to read their pieces out loud. But like, through me they'll say would you read what I wrote but don't tell them it's me (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and I will and it's like so interesting to me this may all be way off track and you can edit you know but I,
0: I no, I think it's awesome oh
1: cool well it's just it is super interesting because I think the conversations that you and I you know that we're all having right now and the conversations that Christina has with both Gabby and with Adam It's a good reminder of that, that sometimes people think with education, there's like a magic bullet or something that there's like one way to go. And I do think Christina was right to sort of call Adam out on like mainstream isn't always best, but maybe it is in this case. You know, I I Mm -hmm. think it's yeah. Yeah. So I enjoyed that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. So Julia and Joel are still trying to get pregnant in this episode. Julia says at the beginning that she had an appointment the previous week and everything looked fine.
1: But I didn't notice it until my second watch. I was like, she's just assuming everything was fine, I guess. Like, that's so heartbreaking. Yeah. I wonder if they said to her, like, well, everything looks fine. Or do they say, we'll call you? How does that work, I wonder? They probably said, it looks okay from here. We'll send you your results. Yeah, I bet bet you're right.
2: Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. So she sends Joel off and- I found the Joel's pride at even like the question of whether or not there could be something wrong with him kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Like (laughs) like it is, I mean, but also typical. I I was (laughs) about to say, is any man's ego this fragile? But then like, I wouldn't have even been able to say that with a straight face. Like, Oh, of course I'm sure it is. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, (laughs) there was this, let me just play this scene briefly. I can't do this honey Why not? God, I don't even know where to start I mean this room is freezing I'm sitting here They're playing music People are walking by
4: And they, they brought a
0: stack of Playboys from the 1980s And told me to give them a call when I'm finished It is so weird honey
4: I'm sorry Well I mean what do you want me to do? Do you get, do
3: you need my help?
4: What do you, what do you mean? Uh, you know I mean like
1: phone sex
4: You, you know how to do that?
1: Well, yeah, I don't know. Um, okay, give me a second.
4: Yeah,
0: hold on, hang on.
4: Yeah, yep.
1: Okay. I, I wanna, I wanna, okay. Good luck, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I love this
2: part. she
3: just hangs up. I love it so
2: much, she's like, (laughs) i want i
0: goodbye and yet i was relieved because i i I find depictions of phone sex in film and tv so awkward i don't know that i've ever seen one where i was like that looks awesome (laughs) like just joel Joel was ready He was like okay let's try
2: that
1: and then he was like oh okay
0: it is nice that Back he was planet. more excited about talking to his wife than like looking at these. I medicines. thought
1: the same thing. I mean, but I also,
0: yeah. I also wrote boo hoo, Joel. Like I'm not a woman or a gynecologist, but I gather that even the most standard doctor's visit for a woman <laughs> is really not a picnic, like really <laughs> uncomfortable. And you are called upon to help and your contribution is Masturbate. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't, you complain about it. Like, it's a very good it point. It does sound like not the ideal situation for how you would want to do that. But come on, in terms of, <laughs> yeah. you know, in on a list of things you comfort, could be
1: asked to do. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's kind of, like, pretty wonderful.
1: <laughs> not bad. And when he said people are walking by, I'm like, surely there aren't windows in the masturbation room, like, like that are just open. I'm like, no. he must just. I believe just...
0: it's called a masturbatorium. <laughs>
1: that's right. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> he he must just like sense like hearing footsteps yeah. out there, yeah. Because I'm like, oh, it's you're making it sound worse, but but I mean, still, that's a very personal, vulnerable thing, and sure. it would be hard to maybe put it in a clinical setting like that. So. And
2: it would be uncomfortable to, like, walk out after.
1: Yeah. Look what I yeah. just did. I just did that yeah. over there. Yeah.
2: Let's left that for you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Here's my semen.
2: <laughs>
1: so.
0: Well, Joel continues his streak. This is not related to anything ex- other than isn't Joel funny. Here we go. No, Sid, don't just drop your bed Take it upstairs in your room, honey.
1: Not a hotel. So far. <laughs> so far. <laughs> Do you know what I love I just
0: liked his, don't drop it on the floor. And then
1: Adam,
3: yeah,
1: yeah, he immediately drops his briefcase on the floor. Same episode. I thought that was so funny. I'm like, you need Joel over there to tell you that this isn't a hotel. Not a hotel.
0: <laughs> if Not we hotel. both noticed it, I think it had to have been intentional.
1: Yeah, maybe so. At least in
2: post, right? They probably edited it like, let's make sure that we show that. <laughs> right.
1: I was so distracted by it though I, so part of me is like why would they put that in because I was just I don't think I ever would have cared I would have been like yeah whatever some people just do that but I was like why won't you just put that away and so it took me out of the moment a little that's funny
0: alright so we get oh, this tough scene it was
1: so beautifully done okay yeah go ahead the last one yeah where we find oh, yeah.
0: out what's going on I
1: have to, I have to tell you something um, what is it I don't want to freak
4: you out. I just got off the phone with Dr. Saris. I got the lab results back for my tests, and um, there is a problem. It's not cancer, That's the first thing she said, so don't worry about that. OK. Um,
3: what is it?
1: It's something called interuterine scarring. What does that mean? It's just that uh,
3: it makes it really, really hard to get pregnant. And um it's just really unlikely. Sorry. You can't apologize to me for something know. like that. I'm so, so sorry. I just I mean you go to the doctor. It wasn't even you, it was me. <laughs> All that matters right now is you, okay? <laughs>
1: So good. Him saying that is not something you can apologize to me for really got me. I thought that was beautifully delivered and the perfect thing to say.
2: Yeah. Parenthood is so good at ending
1: on these kind of notes. (laughs) I
2: thought that too. I was like, oh, and the credits. I'm like, oh, Parenthood, you're always making us cry. Like, right? (laughs) Right. Already the Band of Forces song was playing like before they even started talking. And I'm like,
0: oh. I agree with you, Melissa. That line really jumped out at me. And I would think, how could you not feel like you let your partner down? Yeah. Even, even if you knew in your head, yeah. logically, like it's no one's fault. I feel like, of course, you'd feel that way. I never even knew until I was looking up stuff about this episode that there was such a thing as secondary infertility, that there was like a name for that of, mm-hmm. of when you have trouble, you've already had a child. And then you experience difficulty conceiving or carrying. Sarah, I know you have experience with that.
2: Yeah, same thing.
0: When did you find out, like, oh, this might be an issue?
2: When did you say this episode aired?
0: Um, March 29th,
2: 2011. Okay, yeah. So I remember watching it in real time because I already had, Owen was born in 2008. And then when he turned two, we decided we thought we wanted to have another kid and we had no problem getting pregnant with Owen at all. And so I guess that would have been like, you know, 6 months already that we were had been trying with no pregnancy. And when I watched the episode, I had such an emotional like I was crying so hard. Oh. And my husband was even like, are you okay? Do we need to not watch this show? You know, like he was just really like, is this like should we not even put ourselves through this? But I think that's how like real it was so relate, like real and relatable, the way they wrote it. wasn't over dramatized. I didn't feel like. Yeah. I feel like it was just a really simple conversation. I remember even like googling intrauterine scarring after this episode and be like, maybe that's our problem, you know? Like maybe this is something we have. So I feel like Parenthood once again tackles these like issues that so many people are dealing with in a really real way, and it is a unique. I don't know. I sort of gave them credit for giving some space to like, we have one kid and we want another. And so there is a lot of you that feels like I'm not allowed to be sad about that because I have a kid. Mm. But that's why she kind of like just whispers, I really wanted another baby. No, she did that like so well. Yeah, they, they wrote it so good. And then both of the actors just
0: did you ever have a moment where a doctor was able to say, "We know what it is, it's this, here's the issue or I mean, are you ever just left wondering you don't know why?
2: Um, they, they were able to pinpoint something eventually. I feel like it's hard when you have a first, when you already have a kid, it's a long time before they'll look at you. You know, like they're like they're like you had you got pregnant, you know, like you have to, and if you're not a certain age, then I think we had to wait like a year before they would run any tests because I wasn't like if you were, I was like 31 or something. So they were like, you can, you know, you have to wait at least a year before we do anything, or it depends on your insurance, you know. And I had like a, I kind of knew ahead of time like this is how much intervention I'll do or won't do. And I'm so thankful for that because once those decisions start coming and you're that far into it, you start to feel like you should do whatever they say to, in order to have a baby. You no, know, but I felt like once we got to that point, it was a little easier. It was still sad, but I just felt like I already decided I'm not going to do insemination or whatever it was, or IVF. I think at that point I was like, I'm not going to do that, you know, and I knew, and I'm like, I do have, O, and I am thankful for that. And, you know, but i yeah they did a really good job of it is hard to know and you don't you kind of want but even like you just said Caleb you can't really apologize for your anatomy like at some point whatever is going not on with that. either person or but then you do read stuff and you're like maybe we'll both just like eat really organic and we'll like you know do this or these things that you read these crazy stories and then you learn to like not read anything you know there's yeah. so many couples dealing with infertility that you're like just don't even read about it just like Follow your North Star and just be, you know, and I am grateful for that. And then years later, 2015, I just got pregnant. Wow. By then, I was like, what is happening? (laughs) Like, I I didn't even think. Then I had an eight year old, uh, you know, and I was like, oh, and then I ended up miscarrying. And so that sort of answered itself in a weird way. That was also hard, but it's sort of just like, and then those are the only two times I've been pregnant. So you just like, don't know exactly what is happening. And I mean, the doctors too will honestly tell you like, it is really a miracle when someone gets pregnant, you know, like there really is like only so much science to it. It's a miracle of life is like a real thing because they still, you know, in 2021, like there's so much, they still don't know about it.
0: Not to keep giving you compliments disguised as observations, but I'm, Weirdly, so happy that you had the presence of mind in that situation to know how far you wanted to go in terms of like, here's what I'll do to get pregnant, and here's what's just yeah. not because I feel like that could so easily just drive you crazy.
2: I think I like it felt kind of like spiritual to me too. I was sort of like I easily got pregnant with Owen if I'm not easily getting pregnant this time, maybe that isn't meant to be. And I need to be like open to receiving that too. You know, like sometimes it's like when a door is closed, you can open a different door, but other times like maybe the door is supposed to be closed. And so I was just trying to be just open to that. Maybe the answer was you don't get to have this. Like you get one kid and that's lovely. You don't get to have another one. I don't know. I guess kind of like my earlier story, it was like another example in my life of like, sometimes it's not going to work out how you, Mm. thought it would work out. You know, maybe you thought, Oh, when no one turns 2 I'll have another kid and we'll be bringing it, you know, and this and that. And and it's funny, like looking back, I even remember when I was really pregnant with Owen, my mom came to visit, I was like super pregnant and she was helping us set up the nursery. And we went out to dinner, my husband and my mom and myself, just the three of us. And we were like, for the next kid, well, blah, blah, blah. And my mom just like quietly made this comment, like, let's get through the first birth, you know? <laughs> and she was just totally like, and she said it like in a really calm way, but like later that came back to me a lot of like, let's not like plan your whole you know, you've got one kid to have first. Let's not like already be talking about this whole, I don't know. I feel like there was something to that in like being present and just like receiving what's coming to you when it's coming to you. Wow.
1: That's beautiful. Thank you for being willing to share all that with us.
2: Yeah. Well, Caleb asked me at a time and I said, I think I'm enough removed. Like it, it was strange, especially with the pregnancy in 2015. I was so private about that. And I know some people tell that right away. I just like felt, I don't know. I felt, it felt super, I'm not like a super private person, but it just felt like this isn't a thing that I want to tell anyone right now. I just felt really like thankful that not a lot of people knew I was pregnant. I felt like I'm glad that I can process this in my own time. And then later I felt like, okay, I found a lot of gratitude in that experience. And so then later I was able to say like, yeah, that actually taught me more gratitude, really, for where, what I already have, No, I think when we want something really bad, we can forget what we've already got, you know, Mm -hmm. and so it was a good lesson for me, and just like, you already have all these great things.
0: That's funny, I was going to ask you if it made you more grateful for the child you did have, but I was wondering, like, is that a stupid thing to say? Is it even possible to be more grateful for what I'm assuming is like the thing you're most grateful for already.
2: Yeah. It made me grateful for Owen. I was actually grateful that my experience was not traumatic or painful. You know, like I was grateful for my physical health in a lot of ways. Like I was like, well, this could be a worse scenario than what it is. And I just felt, and I felt grateful for the support system that I did have around me during that time. And I think I think, yeah, it taught me a lot just about not creating a future and and working on being right where you are.
0: Did you ever feel called to adopt children or did you consider that or did that feeling feel like you got the message you meant? meant Mm, to get?
2: I considered it. So yeah, I considered it and like read about it and talked to some families who adopted. And I think when my husband and I talked about it, we were like, the people who do that are really called to do that. You know, I think like the word you just used, and I didn't feel that calling. The funny thing is, when I first got married, I said no kids. Wow, well, you know?
0: no, I remember that.
2: I was very like not having children. We're not doing this, you know. And so, six years into our marriage, I changed my mind, and I was, I, I mean, I, I had Owen, like with the intention of having a baby. <laughs> it was not like, <laughs> like we decided to have a kid, but I, so I didn't. I was like, I don't think I'm called to adopt. I feel like if I did that, it would have been again, like going down that narrative of like, how else can I get a child in my life? Like it was like another one of those like lines that I was like, I think actually it means that this is our little family and this is how we're supposed to be. But I definitely went through a lot of like, I don't know, during that time of trying, like I didn't want to be around other people's babies. I didn't love baby announcements. I, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't like really enjoy hearing pregnant stories, you know, like just a lot of that, it was hard for me to be gracious to other people. You know, I say like, those were not my finest moments always. Like, I don't even know if people noticed, but I just like, there was definitely a couple years there where I was like, ugh, baby shower, you know, no. like I don't want to go to bed. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. They're not that fun anyway, even when you love babies. No. <laughs> <laughs> or like take going to see other people's babies after they had them was like I had to like really make myself do that for a little while. Like I was like, okay, let me go, you know, like bring them a dinner and say hi. And you know, I had to kind of like make myself feel excited about that.
1: That's so hard. And that, that reminds me of how often we just say we really should be careful with what we say to people or assumptions we might make about, you know, we never really know people's inner lives, you know, just yeah so many people around us are dealing with things that we don't know and often don't stop to think about because we're all so concerned, you know, and, and it's, it's okay. But it just really strikes me like you two have been going through all this and so many people didn't even know that.
2: Yeah. And I think infertility and miscarriage is really pretty common. Mm -hmm. So there's someone dealing with that usually, Mm -hmm. but also at the same time, like people should be able to celebrate their joys, you know, and like having a baby is a big joy and you don't want to like, Not announce it because there might be someone who gets sad. That's a good point. I think, but also it's like, yeah, I guess if your friend doesn't want to come to your shower, it might not be because she doesn't like you. (laughs) (laughs) There might be other reasons that she. Or I'm thinking of like a really low point when we were trying. I a baby was being baptized at church, and I had to leave. Mm. Like I, I was like so emotional and crying, and I like I had to leave, and I didn't want Owen to see me crying that hard, and I didn't want to explain why. And I remember I just like went outside to cry and leave the church. Cause I was like, I can't even watch this baptism right now. Wow. So I feel like Julia's probably in that place a little bit. Also, she's such a like achiever. Yeah. That yeah. She's like, like, even when she was like, well, it's been four months, you know, like, I think mean, she's very like, this is how it's supposed to go. Yeah. Again, like we decided to get pregnant. So don't we just get pregnant? You know? Yeah.
0: Well, and even how she says, I made you go and there wasn't even anything wrong. I, it's so human, but it's also like to quote Camille from a previous episode, it's not math. So it's not like right. which half of the equation right. isn't adding up. Like, no, no. You, you do what you need to do to figure out what's going on. And yeah, no, no one's at fault. No.
2: And they would tell you that at the, to your earlier point, Caleb, like an infertility doctor would be like, let's bring in the guy first because it's just a lot easier.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I also think something that can be really hard is to have a life that's different from the life you pictured. And that's something that we've kind of talked about on this show before. It's, I think, something that Adam struggles with because Max is just not what he pictured. And I think that can be very troubling for everyone, actually. if if How do I put this? I think it's understandable to struggle with it. But I think ultimately, I do think it's to person's detriment if they can't ultimately like be okay with the life they have instead of the life they thought they were going to have I don't mean that to sound judgmental although it maybe did but I do think that that can be one of the hardest things if the vision in your head somehow becomes more important than the reality Mm -hmm. that you have and and I think we always have to mourn we have to allow ourselves to feel what we really feel I think it's very dangerous to go too far the other way and to be like toxically positive and be like, everything's fine. You know, this wasn't hard. Everything I do is fine. (laughs) So I'm I'm not suggesting that either. But I think somehow you have to travel through the pain and get to a place where, yeah, you do maybe have that gratitude. Um, I don't know. And I think that can be hard to do. I mean, it was, this wasn't hard for me, but I always just assumed I would have kids. It was sort of a revelation mm. when my husband suggested what if we didn't have kids? And I realized—I think I've maybe even said this before—but I realized I was relieved. I wasn't disappointed. Oh, that was a huge aha, you know, moment for me. I was—I—I yeah. I always assumed I would have them, but in my head, my age of when I would become a mother kept getting pushed back. <laughs> yeah, that's a sign. I, yeah, and then I think that was a sign. I just kept putting it off because I didn't really want it, and um, so yeah, I. I but it's—it's it's interesting. I had to like let myself be open to that because. You know, living in the Midwest where almost everyone has kids, that's the path that people take. It was very um, strange to have him suggest that. And it was strange for me to really imagine something different from what I thought my life would be.
2: Which probably helped you question it. You probably wouldn't, like you said, you wouldn't have even thought to really question that idea. Yeah.
1: I think I can see a a vision of my life very easily where I just had kids without really putting much thought into it just because that's what you do. And yeah. I don't, be- I'm not the sort of person who believes and I would have been a terrible mother because I was destined right. not to have kids. <laughs> I, mean, I would have loved those kids. I think I would have been yes. a good mom. But I do think that's part of why it's um, important to be open, like you said, to whatever. You know, I mean, maybe not whatever. <laughs> I'm not open to heroin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for but, example. For example, for one example. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, to be open to what our lives could be, should be what we want them to be, what, what they will be, even if we don't want it. You know, I, I I didn't want my dad to die when I was 16, but he did. And there's no way around that. And you can't just only be mad about it for the rest of your life until you die too. You know, it's just, you have to sometimes think about it. Yeah. 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 So I
2: think that's what you said is like, so smart that we, if you don't, resolve what you thought your life would be with what your life is I think you'll be very unhappy (laughs) you know like at some point you have to have a resolve with it doesn't mean we're not striving for things or making plans we still need to like have plans and dreams and hopes but you have to be a little at peace with the difference in frequency between like this is what I imagined would be like here and this is where I really am now and I mean, that's probably like at the heart of every midlife crisis is the <laughs> like, is yes. the like what, what I thought would happen by now versus what really happened. And yeah. like, yeah, you have to find some sort of, there's a maturity in that. I think that's like a level of maturity that helps you recognize, no, this is where my life is right now.
1: Yeah.
0: And I wouldn't have thought I had anything to contribute to this, but hearing you talk about it, Melissa, you know, I'm. As far as I know, not dealing with any infertility issues, but I always imagined I would have children. And as I get older and just the circumstances of my life are not conducive to having kids and because I'm gay, it's not going to ever like happen by accident or something, (laughs) but I'm not in a relationship financially. I'm not in a place where I think I could certainly couldn't adopt children with that expense and certainly couldn't have a surrogate or, or a donor or some, like, no, I can't, afford, I don't even have health insurance right now. Like, wow. that's not, that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And that has made me, as I get older, consider not having children, just not even as a choice, but just that it might not happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I never thought about that before. And on the whole, I think it's not as sad of a prospect as I thought it would be. Interesting. Part of me mourns that idea if I end up not having them. And I also certainly think I have an age in my mind. I'm not exactly sure what age it is, mm-hmm. but an age after which I would think I got to let that go mm-hmm. because I just do mm-hmm. not want to be 70 years old with a kid graduating high school, yeah. you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. So, and and honestly, I think having such a close friend consciously choose not to have children has made that less scary. Oh, It feels less like a, oh, my life will be incomplete. Just to have someone in my life who I look at, I look at your life and I don't think it looks incomplete. <laughs> Thank you. So I think, oh, it, it, it will be okay yeah. if that's the way it goes. Mm-hmm. And because I have lots of examples in my life of if I end up having children, that will be very okay too. <laughs>
2: right. <laughs> You have you, There's so much you can do without children, Caitlin.
0: Like whatever you want all the time.
2: <laughs> Precisely. And you can be a super cool uncle. Yeah. And you are. Yes.
0: Which I enjoy. Yeah. That's also
2: a fun role to have. Yeah.
0: Well, again, thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing that. Sure. I'm sure lots of people can relate.
1: Mm-hmm. And um,
0: we really appreciate you offering of that. Of course.
1: Yeah. That was beautiful and really meaningful so thank you again
0: one last storyline talk about your life not going the way you thought yeah Yeah. with jasmine and crosby i appreciated that jasmine right at the beginning in the first scene with jabbar she pretty much immediately said yes that they would work on this family project with jabbar yeah i just thought that's putting your child first
1: Mm -hmm. and your
0: pride second when when she really has quite a good reason not to want to do that with crosby
1: Oh, for sure. And she's smart. She knows what he's doing. You know, like that he's, he's using yeah. this to try. And, and I don't mean that in a mean way. I think it's actually kind of, if you're going to try to get someone back, it's probably the loveliest, most earnest way you could possibly do that. She, he's not lying to her or no. deceiving her. He's just trying to win her over with sheer good nostalgia. Memory. Yeah, <laughs> nostalgia. Oh, yeah. Well, Sarah
2: says that to him, right? He goes to see his sister or he goes over to their house and she's like... Are you kind of hoping these family memories make Jasmine remember the good
4: times trying to win her back?
3: Is it that obvious? It is. I don't know what else to do.
4: I think it's definitely going to work. I think it's totally going to work. Thank you. Let's find
3: some good ones.
1: I wondered why she said that. I, I loved that moment. I thought it was really, like, weirdly supportive and sweet. Yeah. Even though maybe the more supportive thing, truly, you know, she's kind of doing the same thing with him that she did with Amber. It's like, don't talk That's about not getting into, into Berkeley. And st- I just thought of that. Maybe you two thought of that earlier. But, you know, instead it's like, yeah, this will work. Maybe she really believes that. Maybe this is who Sarah is as a character. Um,
0: I don't think she's that optimistic. No, because
1: I did. I did
0: think about. I almost wrote down like, God, she's optimistic in this episode, but yeah. when it comes to her play, she's not. Yeah, no. that's true. So maybe, true. maybe it's a if it's people she loves. Yeah, she, she wants can have to all the confidence it. in the world, yeah. but not in herself. But I found it really sweet too. I, I think I probably just interpreted it as like. What else are you going to say? Yeah. Like
2: there's no other good idea.
0: Drop it, Crosby, not even worth trying. <laughs> yeah. Like you have to believe it might work yeah. in order to oh. even have a prayer. So just go ahead and
2: he looked that. so earnest in that scene oh i know like yeah. I was like how about this picture
1: <laughs> like it's just like it was <laughs> will, a little <laughs> will this cover the memory of me cheating yes. on her <laughs> like no i don't think it will oh. yeah that was a good one she was like oh yeah nice picture oh, oh it's not a magic picture <laughs> and there was a
0: moment between jabbar and jasmine that i wanted to commend joy bryant on first of all Renee's favorite song, she says, is Kansas City. I noticed that. Now, me, musical theater aficionado that I am, I hear Kansas City, and I immediately think of the song from Oklahoma.
3: Oh. Everything's up to date in Kansas City.
0: But uh, I bet the they're referring board, to, to, to the, Kansas the song City. first recorded by Little Willie Littlefield. I'm going to Kansas City. Kansas City, here I come. And then made famous by Wilbert Harrison. To, and then like covered City, many, many times Kansas by City, Little Richard, the Beatles, James Brown, many oh, more.
1: They play that song at Royals games when we win. Oh, oh yeah. fun fact. Fun fact.
0: But the moment that I loved so much, I didn't even notice it the first time. Or I didn't understand the significance of it. When Jabbar shows her the photo of them playing music. And he says, Dad says he was playing your favorite song. And she corrects him and says, actually, that's Grandma Renee's favorite song. I swear you can actually see her be caught off guard by how thoughtful it was of Crosby to learn her mom's favorite song.
2: Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: And I didn't notice it the first time because it's, it's subtle. At least I thought yeah. it was subtle. But I thought it was so beautiful. And I feel like it would be those little things that remind you of, like, his heart.
1: Yeah.
2: Because yeah.
0: his behavior it was, it was so lacking,
1: yeah, so lacking. <laughs>
0: but his he does have a good heart.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I didn't really even fully think of the significance of him learning her. That's beautiful. Yeah. I
0: mean, the first time I watched it, I almost even thought it was like the opposite. That she's like, he doesn't even know whose favorite song it is. Yeah, like, <laughs> like nice, but nice try. She was like, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. He said it was mine. He's wrong. Yeah. But then I realized, oh no, she's like. No, he wasn't doing a nice thing for me. He's doing a nice thing for my family. Which is even
1: nicer, really, yeah.
0: It is. Now, the story that Crosby tells about Jasmine and how they met... That's sweet, but it's not at all in keeping with what we've heard before, right? Yeah.
1: Didn't they hook up, like, in the Bay Area when she was in town? Like, it wasn't at a wedding in New That's York. That's what I thought Yeah, was. I was really questioning that, too. I was confused. I
2: think he was, like, trying to have, like, a Cinderella moment. Like, I dug her shoe <laughs> out of the dirt. Like, I was like, was that what's supposed to be a Cinderella reference? I didn't understand. It was sweet, but I didn't get it.
0: No, I, I didn't either. And then it... <laughs> I wrote down, he also left out the part where she had his baby and didn't tell him for five years. But um, but then I also I wondered, like, what's the advantage of changing the story? Is this story so much more romantic? or what
1: wait, do you mean the show changing the story, or do you yeah, mean the show because, changing? because I thought he was telling the truth, right? Like this is just like retcon situation where they're yeah. like just changing what happened. Okay, good question. I think maybe they were trying to make it more of a beautiful moment. I I like the Cinderella thing. I think you're probably right. Um, As opposed to the way it was presented to us before, which didn't indicate these two are meant to be together. They had a fling five years ago, you know, in the season one, that's how it's presented to us. And uh, it was a good time and all, but not serious enough for it to be imperative that she tell him she was pregnant that's not the story you tell a room full of kids when you're trying desperately to win. True. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that's maybe, well, that's a good
0: point. Maybe, maybe Crosby changed the story because he couldn't honestly answer. <laughs> that's
2: what I thought that he, <laughs> we were both drunk.
0: Like, we had a one night stand <laughs>
2: and he was like, I'll take this. Cause I think he wanted to say something romantic that he knew she would. Yeah. I don't know. Cause he, yeah, but he I like, did think
0: see. it was true. Cause if it wasn't, wouldn't she be like, uh, you just made up. How we met.
2: No, because she told him later, you told some good stories. Ah, and that's how she put yeah. it. She said, right, at the end when she came to the boat, she's like, you told some good stories.
0: That's a good setup.
2: told some beautiful stories. And
4: showed some cute photos. And for a while I was thinking, yeah, that's what it could be like. Three of us as a family. Ooh.
3: We are a family.
4: Yeah. But then I remembered. Oh yeah, you know that that all sounds great, but you know, except for one thing. You slept with another woman while we were engaged.
3: Sweetie, I'm so sorry. I'm ashamed of what I did but I will do anything to get you to forgive me, I swear.
4: I'm not ready to forgive you, Crosby. And I don't know if I ever will be.
2: I think I need to move on. I loved how she wore. It. I just felt like you could see her, kind of like you said before. You see her decide to say, "Oh, that was thoughtful." I do think she decided before she got there, but I, you can still see some of her decision of like, "I'm not ready to forgive you yet." Like, I would like to, but I can't, and I don't know if I ever will. I'm gonna have like, I felt for her because it was one of those things where it's probably not even what she wants to do,
4: yeah. But it's what
2: she knows she needs to do.
4: Yeah,
2: it felt very raw that way. Like, oh yeah, she's really thinking about this and she can't like give her heart to him again just yet.
1: Well, if you don't trust a person, that's pretty major. You know, it's it's not I I like that you just said it's probably what she wants to do. But yeah, without trust, I think she knows it's just not going to work. You know, if if she has reservations, you know, if she feels. Yeah. And so I, I thought it was a beautiful conclusion. And it was also a really nice almost coda, I guess, to the scene in the boat like a few episodes ago where he tells her he cheated and she's so angry and she you know rightfully so and you know yells at him with all that like hurt and betrayal and then to go from that travel kind of through that and and end up in a place like this which is just like resignation and disappointment and sadness you know it's it's she didn't sound mad at him she just sounded like done
2: yeah and hurt and like i do like that she very simply was like you slept with someone else while we were engaged yeah it was just like a very plain simple way to be like yeah this is the deal yeah
0: facts are stubborn things yeah. <laughs> yes i wondered how much time has passed from that first scene to this one because i put i'm honestly amazed that she's beyond the constant fury uh-huh. stage yeah like and maybe more time has gone by than I am perceiving, but that was impressive to me. And I agree. I thought she stated where she was so beautifully. And I even thought right before she said, I'm not ready to forgive you. It made me wonder, it feels like it's possible to me that even if you were in a place where you could forgive someone, that's different than wanting to be with them again.
1: Yeah. yeah. Like
0: I could, I could really see her saying like, yeah, I forgive you. I, I'm not going to hold hate in my heart for you. But that doesn't mean I can be with you and and, and we're going to be just fine.
1: Some things are forever. You know, like <laughs> that's usually used in a beautiful, like marriage is forever, relationships are forever. But sometimes right. like betrayal is forever. You know, sometimes yeah. it's like trust being gone is forever. And sometimes there's this expectation once you work through it, we'll be okay. But yeah, sometimes it just fundamentally changes your feelings for a person
0: if only sleeping with another woman while engaged and hiding a child for five years could just be like a call it even (laughs) kind of thing
1: although i have
2: to say good thing he didn't bring that up in an argument
0: (laughs) well not again he
2: did oh he did
1: oh yeah such a mistake not not smart crosby no you know, it's funny. I remember the first time I watched this show, I was a lot less understanding about why Jasmine did that. I think I was so firmly in Crosby's point of view because we know him better than we know Jasmine, mm. and I saw him as like, you know, a basically good guy, and I was like, yeah, how could she do this to him? And I think this time, I've had a lot more compassion for her. I'm like, yeah, she didn't owe this guy anything. Yeah,
2: what were you? Did gonna- she even really
1: know him? I don't think very well.
0: Well, and see, now I'm realizing as you say this. This is why it matters to me whether that story he tells about Central Park is true. Yeah. Because if there was some neat, cute, romantic moment, then her not telling him becomes even more unforgivable to me. Interesting. If it was a one night stand and it was like, I was not sleeping with this guy because I thought he'd make a great father. Right. (laughs) Right. And so now that I can't even get a hold of him, I'm not going to bend over backward. Okay, I get that. But yeah, so it makes me a little uncomfortable that they are retconning the how did this begin? Because if it's romantic, then I have a bigger problem with her.
1: And also, that's not the only definition of romantic. You know, it can be romantic to like one of my favorite books i te- i teach it in ap lit it's the namesake and it's just gorgeous everyone should read it i think but it has a an arranged marriage in it and i realized how my whole life from my very you know western perspective i only thought arranged marriages were like awful and sexist and probably abusive <laughs> and just i had all these terrible feelings associated with them and then i realized oh i'm I had a single story of arranged marriages. Anyway, it's this gorgeous story of, you know, a couple who like have the same beliefs and they both, that's what's done in their culture. They're both from India and they fall in love over time. And it doesn't look like our idea of love, but they love each other very much. And it's this beautiful story. And anyway, I'm just saying it doesn't have to be we locked eyes and fell in love at first sight. That's a very American idea, a very, you know, like hollywood idea i guess and that's not the only romantic thing you know it, it can be romantic that they actually fell in love five years when their kid was five yeah. years old and they sort of reconnected and they'd both grown and you know i think that can be just well, as isn't beautiful. it after
0: crosby proposes that adam's like you stumbled into it yeah but it's turned out to be a good thing yeah. like that's romantic.
1: I, I Can I also just real quick say that Jabbar has never been cuter than in this episode? When yeah, he he's all was like, great. It's all about me. <laughs> all about Jabbar. Woo! All about me. Woohoo! He's <laughs> <It's just>, like <laughs> so cute. Oh. Gets up and dances for his class. Like, yes. I would have been too shy to do that in elementary school, I think. Or I would have been like second guessing it. Like my dancing is dumb. But he just like gets up and... Crosby beatboxes, so cute.
0: It would be hard to resist that picture of family, like Jasmine says. But it doesn't change what happened either, like she says. Yeah. It's tough. It's funny. I thought episode 217, two before this, was such a bomb right towards the end of the season. Like it just blew so many things up. And then the following episode was such a clear follow up of that. Mm -hmm. That this one, it felt like it had kind of moved on a little bit from that. But then I felt it, it kind of felt a little anticlimactic maybe because of that. Now I'm like, what's the huge bombshell in this one? <laughs> it's like, well, there's no bombshell like that. There's quiet little bombshells like Julia thinking she's maybe not going to be able to have another kid. Or even Jasmine saying, like, I'm not going to forgive you.
1: Yeah. But mm-hmm. it also
0: made me wonder, like, the season is wrapping up. Like, there's only three episodes after this. What's the finale going to be? Like, if, yeah. if this is... the.
1: Pal- <laughs> oh you're I right don't know. <laughs> that's right Richard Dreyfuss is really the star of parenthood we just waited a long time to get to him and yeah. <laughs> uh, next season Craig T. Nelson is out Richard Dreyfuss is in <laughs> spoiler <laughs> spoiler that would be sad that would be so sad that doesn't happen that was a joke friends I can give fake spoilers (laughs) if you're
2: listening and you've never watched (laughs) parenthood before
1: that does not happen that does not happen (laughs) (laughs) fake spoiler well I really liked it I um I think I like quiet moments and sometimes my stomach can't take all the bombshells that are huge, you know, like I, it makes me very upset. It's why I broke up with Shonda Rhimes. You know, I just couldn't watch Grey's Anatomy anymore. It was too, too many revelations. I, I think I, I like, um, TV and movies and, and books that are realistic. That, that tends to be my genre. So the fact that it felt very real, except for Gilliam T. Blount meant a lot to me.
2: (laughs) I liked it. I feel like it, it had that theme of it isn't working out like you Planned, you know, I mean, like Amber didn't go to college and Julia's going to have a hard time getting pregnant. And, you know, Crosby's not getting the girl back right away. It was this sort of like, this is life. It was very, I know some people don't like watching that. Like, don't make me live my own, you know, some people don't like <laughs> that kind of television, but I do. I, I thought it was great. And I do feel like they did a good job of showing those slice of life, real things that happen that can sound kind of mundane, but they're like life altering, like, breakups in college and infertility those are all like change the course of your life kind of things that happen
1: yeah beautifully very true
0: well sarah I think you really delivered <laughs> on all your fans'
2: <laughs> expectations. Thanks,
1: guys. Oh, I think the you more was than high. delivered. Yeah. The bar was high. <laughs> you were wonderful. That's true. I didn't yes. even think. I was like, well, compliment her. And then I'm like, oh, no. That's just making her nervous. No. But you, yeah. Do you have anything that you want to plug again on the show now that you're here? Anything that we should follow?
2: Um, you can follow me on
1: Instagram
2: at the underscore Sarah Keat. And I got a lot happening over there. I got a new course I'm launching on setting goals and creating a schedule to meet those goals. And so you can check that out on Instagram. That's so cool.
0: Awesome. Love that. Melissa, can you check us out on Instagram?
1: (laughs) You sure can, Caleb. Um,
0: (laughs) Tell me more.
1: (laughs) We're at Parenthood Pals on Instagram and Twitter and uh, Facebook as well. So you should follow or like, um, write us. A review or give us a rating. We we love that stuff. It makes us so happy. Send us an email. We love that.
0: That sounds like a lot of information to remember. Is there one place I could go to get all of that information?
1: My Caleb, there sure is. It's called parenthoodpals.com.
0: oh that's so <laughs> short and to the point. I love it. Yeah, that's fair. Guys, we didn't even rehearse this bit. No, Can you tell? It's
2: it's, it's
0: it's it's not Gilliam approved.
2: It's really good. No, he would like it. Thank you. I hope so. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you, listeners, for listening. And until next time, may God bless and keep you always.
1: And may your wishes all come true.